Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Good morning again. It is that time to get started. We're going to settle down now with a word of prayer, and so let's go before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. All right, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your love and your goodness this morning. God, thank you for your presence here among us. You sent your Holy Spirit to help open our eyes and show us the truth that will set our hearts free. Father, we believe that you ordain our footsteps. So everybody who's hearing this passage this morning, you predetermined that to happen for a reason. Today, if we follow your instructions, we will be the most blessed people on the planet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The story is told about old Joe... He lay dying there, and for years he was at odds with Bill, formerly one of his best buddies. But they had a falling out, so you know how that goes. And uh, he wanted to straighten things out, so he called for Bill to come to his bedside. And he told Bill, hey, look, you know, I'm going to be going into eternity with all these bad feelings. I just wanted to get things right, so he reluctantly, with great effort, apologized to Bill and all past things he had said and done, and yes, he said, Bill, I forgive you for everything. Uh, So everything seemed fine until Bill turned to go, and as Bill was walking out the door, Joe called out after him and said, but remember, if I get better, the deal's off. You know, something tells me that that's not exactly the kind of forgiveness that Jesus is asking us to have. He speaks of our obligation to forgive those who sin against us from our hearts, more than just words. In fact, the word in the Greek, aphiomi, in the Greek it means to let it go, to uh, unloose something to send it away, to get rid of it. And clearly, old Joe didn't let it go. He just said so. And so Clara Barton, founder of the Red Cross, was reminded one day of a vicious deed that was done to her years before. She was acting as if she had never heard of the incident. And her friend noticed that and said, how could you not remember that? And Clara said, well... I have no recollection of it all because I distinctly remember forgetting it. You see? Because Clara let it go. That's what the word means. Let it 
go, you see? And so, yeah, if you struggle with doing that, I guarantee you, I promise you, that if you take the words of Jesus in this passage to heart, you will never have a struggle again. You will never hold a grudge. You will let it go, always. So clearly, not something the disciples were doing at the moment. They are not letting offenses go. They're creating them. And uh, they're jockeying for position. As you recall, the chapter was really born out of their bad behavior of climbing on top of each other, as it were, arguing which one of them was the greatest, envying one another, being jealous, resenting, insulting, demeaning, and all of this bad behavior was adding up and they were offending each other and the disciples were hurting each other's feelings and holding grudges and all of that and so from that is uh, is birthed this very passage about the importance to forgive well the whole chapter chapter 18 is just like passage after passage about the importance to god how we treat get this, his little ones. You see, that's a takeaway that I had after 40 years of doing this. I always find something fresh and new. The way that I'm supposed to determine how I treat you is not have anything to do with how I feel about you or what you've done. It's just I have to take special care because of whose you are and how he feels about you with his protective love. He says, pity the fool. Who, who messes with one of my little ones. It would be better for you to, to experience death by drowning than to have to deal with me. When you deliberately trip up one of my little ones, that means even the least significant so-called Christian, they belong to him. And the way that I treat them and feel about them and speak to them, I have to take into consideration the greatest commandment of all, Jesus said. Love me with everything you got and love them with the same love that you have for yourself. And so that's where we're picking up. Last week, here now at our jumping off point, uh, he said, if you've been sinned against, I want you to start, it's serious, for serious things, I want you to start uh, the process of reconciliation. In fact, he demands it, he requires it. It doesn't matter which end you are on of the falling out, if you've caused it or you're the victim of it, both are told, listen, both of you make haste, you can't let this fester, create a bitter bitterness that will spring up and defile uh, lots of people. So get at it, he said. And, and uh, so specifically, it was the one who got wounded. So he says, uh, in that case, he says, go to that person who's done the wounding and go humbly, prayerfully, gently, and love them to win them. Now, Peter gets that funny look on his face. It's like, well, he's in a guilty party. I'm going to have to have compassion for their soul and go and win them? That's not why I want to go and talk to the one who offended me. But he says, listen, I want this to end with reconciliation. Uh-huh. So now Peter and the 12 are catching on. They're, they're, they, and then they're not very happy because they realize that if you're constantly offending, which that's what we do, that's our job description as sinful people, 
We're, we're looking out for ourselves and we're stepping on everybody else's toes. That's what people do. Every day, we offend somebody usually, you know, some more than others, but yeah, I digress. And, and so, yeah, so they're realizing if God is all about constant reconciliation and offenses are endless as they seem, then that would require massive doses of forgiveness, like all the time, like every day, like moment by moment, like for everybody. Wow. So Peter's going to ask him a question. He says, I get what you're saying about all of this love everybody stuff, but isn't there a limit? There's got to be a limit somewhere, right? So he asks a question, and Jesus is going to answer him. You, you want to know a limit, Peter? And then he shocks him, and he's going to tell him a story that will blow everybody's minds, and it will convince every Christian down deep that they can never again hold a grudge toward anybody for any reason whatsoever. Just by one simple parable, it's a sermon illustration, it means a story, of, and it's officially named the parable of the unmerciful servant. And so that is what awaits us this morning. Let's dive in at verse 21. Remember, he just said, look, if somebody's wounded, you go. Win them back. Restore them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then Peter says, okay, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, well, how many times should I forgive him when he sins against me? How about seven? Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Really, in the Greek, it can go either way, 77 or seven times 70. And so I think it's 7 times 70. He's really saying 490. But go ahead. Verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, they all know. They've been around him. When he tells a story about a king, they know who he's talking about. He's talking about God. He wants to settle accounts with his servants. And as he begins the settlement process, a man who owes him 10,000 talents, a talent was a unit of measurement of the weight of gold, I'll tell you what it's worth later, was brought to him. He owed a, quite a large sum. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay the master orders that he and his wife and his children and everything that he did own to be sold, to repay the debt, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay you back everything. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's what the word means to forgive. He let him go. Moving on. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a tiny little bit of money. He grabbed him and began to choke him out. Pay me what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I'll pay you back. Hmm, deja vu? He doesn't get it. 
He should have remembered those words because they came out of his mouth one time. Uh, Verse 30, but he refused and said he went off and had the man tossed into prison until he could pay the debt down to the last shekel. When the other servants saw what happened, they went and told on him. (laughs) They were greatly distressed and went and told their master, the king, everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He says, I canceled everything of yours, all that horrendous debt of yours, just because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tormented until he should pay back everything he owed Here's the kicker. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Boom. He opens up some smelling salts for the soul. You know, when he feels like we're not getting it, we think he's kidding around, Uh, we just are going to take advantage of grace and just kick back and say, whatever, you know everybody struggles. Then he comes out with a line like that. It just says, I hope you're paying attention to how important this is. You can go blank there for a while with the screens until we get started there. Thank you. And so that's what we have. Some pretty shocking words and a striking story, really. So really, someone who's been forgiven a huge debt, who refuses to forgive a tiny debt against them, really winds up in a dreadful, miserable place. And so Jesus is going to say, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, you've got some suffering coming your way. And so life is serious. It's more serious than anybody realizes, I think. And so it's not just about being a Christian. It's like, yeah, I got my theology straight. I got it right here, right here. And then go ahead and not live it. It's about living it, right? And so uh, the passage is going to divide quite nicely into two pieces. The first piece will be uh, the first few verses, the question and answer. Uh, Peter wants to know, is there a limit to Christian love? And Jesus is going to say, no, Peter, there's not a limit to Christian love. And really, the moral of the story, just in case you leave and you're like, what was that all about? Here it is. (laughs) Unlimited forgiveness must be offered others by those who have received unlimited forgiveness by God. If you've been forgiven, you've got to forgive. That's just the way it goes. And so he'll share that story. Part two will be the parable. And we'll just walk by it and just kind of wring it out for every last drop of goodness. Because who doesn't struggle with holding a grudge or writing somebody off who's wounded us? We're going to talk about this now. And so... Uh, We're going to begin now with verses uh, 21 and 22. Let me paraphrase for you. Now the question and answer point number one. All right, so uh, I paraphrase. Uh, Then Peter comes up to Jesus hearing all this, reconcile, reconcile, be their friend, love them, win them. He's like, okay, Lord, how many times do I have to do that? You know, how about seven? Jesus says, I tell you not seven, but how about 70 times seven, seven times seven, seven times more? How about that? How about just put away your calculator? (laughs) 
Peter. So, okay, so Peter's had an epiphany, not going to lie. I mean, he's, he's growing, so he's willing to see, hey, you know, I'm going to have to do some forgiving. All I want to know is how much do I have to do before I can stop forgiving that scoundrel? That's the heart behind counting, right? Now, yeah, if Jesus is so dead set on making amends and having healthy, happy relationships and keeping the peace, uh, this is going to require a lot of cutting people slack and, and giving them mercy. And mercy is what? Giving them what they don't deserve or not giving them really what they do deserve. That's really mercy. And so in keeping with his impulsive personality, Peter's going to ask a question and then answer it. You know, and kind of some commentators say he's probably answering his own question in front of everybody to show Jesus, look how smart I am, and I'm going way above and beyond the rabbi's required three strike law. The rabbis would give you three strikes, and the rabbis knew nothing about biblical love, nothing. Love keeps no records of wrong. First Corinthians 13. So the very fact that you have a scorecard in your pocket doesn't make you, oh, that's one, but I'm so gracious, I'm going to give you two more before I cut you off. You know, no, no. The very fact that you're counting is a problem. The very fact you're asking is the problem. And that's why he has to tell the story. Really? A guy like that, do you have to tell the guy, a guy like that who's been forgiven all of that, to put your scorecard away? No, you don't have to tell him that. He should know that through experience of, of, of experiencing God's love and mercy himself. And so, yeah, so he's saying, <laughs> Peter's saying, given human nature, Lord, um, you know, I have these friends. It's the disciples. You know, and they are immature, some of my friends. <laughs> Self-centered, insecure, broken, sinful, prone to dishonesty, gossip, envy, and jealous. This sin-forgive cycle could go on for days, Lord. So let's cap it at around seven. What do you think? You know, I, I'll see the rabbis, they're three, and I'll raise them four. <laughs> Even God must have a limit, right, Jesus? And Jesus says, wrong, Peter. While there's breath in your body, there's amnesty for anyone who's done anything who calls on the name of the Lord right up to the last heartbeat. Thief on the cross. The last few minutes. Oh, whoops, we got the wrong guy here. Whoa, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Lord. And the Lord goes, bingo, bingo. Just a little change of heart, bingo, today, this day, you and me, paradise. For what? You're going to wipe out all of my sins? For what? Because I turned, I had a change of heart? Yeah. That's kind of what's going on here, right? And so, really, the question is from Peter, when can I stop? And uh, Jesus says, never. Never. You can never stop. Because, really, endless Offending, which is our lot in life, will require endless forgiving. That's just the way it is. And so, 
Yeah, I could see him counting up, oh man, 490 times, you know? But on that 491st time, I got him, right? I got him, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. No, you know, what it, let's bring some balance to forgiveness and, and clarity, what it means and what it doesn't mean, and then we'll jump into the parable. It's a condition of the heart. The best definition in the world of what forgiveness is, is what happens in the parable. He cancels the debt. That's it. That nothing to do how you feel. It's that you've let the guilty party off the hook completely. And, biblically speaking, you've entrusted him and the whole deed to God. Who said, vengeance is mine. That's my department. I'll take care of that. But your obligation is to keep this sweet and malice free. A willingness, if appropriate, to, and nine times out of ten, for what Jesus is talking about, reconciliation is possible. Jesus is not talking about the, the rare thing over here, like we all think about. Somebody came up to me after first service and said, what about enemy combatants on the field? And you know, how, how do we love our enemies and forgive and all of that while we're at war with somebody who wants to kill us? Well, <laughs> Jesus isn't talking about that, is he? That's the over here part. But what forgiveness is not, let me show you this extended quote. I put it up here because it's so long. Forgiveness is primarily meant to keep our hearts free of hate and malice. It's spiritual. It's for your heart, which hinders our fellowship with God and makes us ineffective, unproductive, spiritually unhealthy. Got it. Vengeance is mine. There it is. Romans 14 says the Lord. And while we are, Romans 12, it'll bug me the whole day, you know, it's Romans 12. And while we are obligated to forgive the person from our hearts, forgiveness doesn't require us to place ourselves in unwise situations, destructive relationships, or continue to enable sinful behavior. Jesus isn't talking to them about what happens over here. He's talking about day in, day out people in community who are constantly getting offended over something, over the way the announcements went out, over the way, you know, uh, they painted the church building, over the way she looked at me, over the way I wasn't included. And then it gets worse, it can get heated, but that's what Jesus is talking about. You know, I have written down here, Yes, forgive them for the sake of your heart. Get a restraining order for the sake of your life, you see? <laughs> so use wisdom. Forgiveness isn't just like, oh, yeah, we condone everything. We forget about everything. We put ourselves back into harm's way. And no, 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 no. You can do the hard work of ending a relationship, ending a career, putting some distance between people with your heart at peace and rest without malice. You can do that, right? That's all he wants. Doesn't say it. There's not uh, some serious consequences for serious sinning. Amen? I think you get that. And now to the rip-roaring story that will blow the door off the hinges uh, and keep the heart always flowing uh, freely with the mercy and forgiveness. So the second half of the verses now, uh, the, the first part, I should say, the 23 to 27, good. And what I'll do is walk through 
a little at a time, okay? Now, officially, the parable of the unmerciful servant, okay? And so it begins with this. A man owes an enormous debt, and so did you, and so do I. And that's the quick application. We had a debt we could never pay. The king is God, the servant is anybody who hears the gospel, and in this case, someone he's dealing with. Uh, 23 and 24, follow along with me as I paraphrase. Okay, Peter, in answer to your question, to help inspire the flow of forgiveness, think of the gospel like this story. This king wants to settle up with those who serve him and owe him. And there's this guy, Peter, who racked up a debt running into the millions and perhaps $1 billion. And he was hauled in to stand before the throne and give an account. And so your first little thought is day of reckoning, and that's what the gospel says. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once. And by the way, if you're dealing with somebody who respects at least the authority of the Bible and talks about reincarnation, there's your verse. It's appointed for man to die once. And then you give an account for that one life, a judgment, an evaluation, you see. And so it was judgment day. It comes to everybody. Your heart start, stops beating, and there's an appointed time for you to settle up with the God who gave you the life on loan from him and said, I'm investing in you. I poured in breath into your body. I gave you a life. What would you do with it? Time to talk to me about it. How'd it go? Let's talk. And so he has a day of reckoning, this guy. And uh, back in the day, the kings in the ancient world, they had managers who were entrusted with the, the royal estates. And so they had finances to uh, work with and tax revenues to collect and to manage and businesses uh, in the interest of the king that were supposed to turn a profit. And so they had to come in and they, they had a day where they reviewed and he's calling this guy in and he says, hey, listen, well, let's look at the books here. And uh, all I see is red, red ink everywhere, but more red ink than I've ever seen in my life. What's going on here? You have no revenue. You just have, you've taken and taken and taken, and you've run up this horrific debt. It would be like the mailroom clerk at IBM who makes 15 bucks an hour. He owes the CEO 500 million. How's that going to ever work? That's the correlation here, right? And so, yeah, a talent was a, a unit of measurement for gold or silver or whatever. And so it, it totaled anywhere from $100 million to $1 billion in today's currencies. And so it was just a debt you couldn't calculate. And, and it ha comes with a negative implication here. He's running some Ponzi scheme. He's borrowed and borrowed and borrowed and borrowed for his borrowing. He's, he's promise after promise. He's mismanaged. He lacks the skill. He lacks the motivation. He lacks integrity. He lacks honesty. He's got lots of greed, and perhaps he's embezzled. That's the only way you come up with numbers so high, says the books and the commentaries. And so he gets summoned in like we do. And uh, he has to, to, to stand before the king, like we do, Romans 14, 
It's written, as surely as I live, he's swearing. The, 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 the Lord is taking an oath. Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. One thing you can depend on when God takes an oath and he swears by himself because there's nobody greater to swear by. So he puts up his right hand and says, I just want to swear by myself that every human being that I gave life will circle back in front of me and we're going to have a conversation. That's what you can depend on. And that's what's going on here by implication and application to us spiritually. That's what the story's meant to, to get us to understand the gospel. And so as we go back to those verses, can you imagine every sin, thought, word, deed, every wrong motive, a ding against God and the account. Sins of commission, that means every deed you did. Sins of omission, every deed you should have done but didn't. There's a ton of those. We don't even think of those. You should have been giving. You should have stood up for that person. You should have prayed and read your Bible. You should have told him the gospel. You had the opportunity. There's a ton of those. We don't even count those, right? But they're sins nonetheless. And so that, that can add up over a lifetime, couldn't it? Right? So you got King David's feeling a little heat there when he, Psalm 40. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I've lost all courage because he's, he knows he's going to stand before God. And so this is, you've got to feel the feeling of this man who owes the king $500 million that he's, the king has lost. $500 million because of his bad behavior. He stands ready to be condemned. So justice has to be served. So verse 25, since there's no possible way to pay the debt, the master just ordered him and his wife, everything he did have, uh, to be sold. Now, the reason the, the wife and the kids get thrown in there is in Roman, uh, under Roman rule, uh, the wife and the kids belong to the husband. And so, yeah, your sin just doesn't affect you, sir. <laughs> that's, that's the spiritual application here, is, is that it affects everybody. And so, yeah, in, in the ancient world, what could happen is the debtor's prison would buy the person and say, listen, the king says, oh, how much you give me for this guy, for your debtor's prison? And they pay a price for him and the wife and the kids. Now, uh, and what happened in debtor prison? Oh, we've got some sewer trenches to dig. We've got all the jobs no other human being wants to do. Those tossed into debtor's prison, they do them for the rest of their lives until the debt is paid. And in this case, how are you going to pay off $500 million? That's the point. That's why we need eternity in a debtor's prison that nobody ought to go because nobody need to go. 
And so, yeah, the point here is he's ruined his life. There's, he's reduced to misery, no joy, no love, no hope. You've offended the king. You've squandered your life and the trust he gave you. It's time to pay up. And as Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, it's a dreadful thing, my friends, to fall into the hands of the living God. One writer said, like the rebel who has blatantly blasphemed God hundreds of thousands of times over and over again, even forever is not long enough to repay, but it's a good start, you see. And so, yeah, it's some semblance of justice. He's not even going to make a dent in what he's lost, but it's some sense of justice, and that's why they did it. Uh, verses 26 and 27, the servant begs on his knees, I need a little more time, I'll pay back everything, another false statement, another false promise, oh yeah, just the problem's time. Uh, the servant's master had mercy on him, felt compassion for him, loved him in spite of his wretched debt, released him from the debt and sent him on his way. Done, you know what? <laughs> I'm feeling sorry for you right now, I'm just moved Go, you're free, 100%. Well, there's a gasp, because who does that? Who does that? 500 million? And he's a wretch? The dude's pathetic. What does he say? I'm sorry I mishandled the trust you gave me. I probably hurt you. I probably hurt a lot of people. Oh, no. Now, what does he say? I can still do this. I just need time. The problem is I just ran out of time, but I'm capable. I'll still do it. Oh, trust me. I'll get your 500 million. I can do this. You know, I'll give people the shirt off of my back. Everybody knows that about me. I can do it. Oh, no, you can't. You can't do it. But does it stop the king from feeling love and compassion for him? No. Even the prodigal son, it's the same thing. The story isn't about the supplicant, the nobility of the supplicant asking. It's all about the nobility of the king, the compassion of the king. The prodigal son, he tells his dad, as I've mentioned many times, he tells his dad, Dad, I hate your guts. You know that. I, I wish you were dead, but could you just give me the inheritance before you die? Come on. He says, yes, here it is. He goes, he squanders it. He moves to Vegas. He does all the things you shouldn't do with the money. And then immoral, terrible stuff. And then, you know, the economy tanks. He runs out of money. He, he ends up in a pig pen at a pig uh, swine farm feeding the pigs. He's a nice Jewish boy. <laughs> and he's longing for the slop. And so what turns him is his hunger. He's hungry. It's not about, uh, you know, he's preparing a speech. You know, he's going to go back. Why? Because, and he says so, the servants at the house eat better than this. I'm hungry. I need a shower. Self-interest only. He doesn't come back and say, I broke your heart, Dad. Mom cried herself to sleep every night. I have made a mess of things that ruined your reputation. I'm so sorry. No, none of that. Me. Hey, Pop's good to see you. Got some food? And does it stop the father from showing compassion? And that's the heart of the story, is that he just, for some unknown reason, known only to God, he saw you, 
before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1, and he chose you. And he said, you are not going to perish. You're going to try to perish. But I am going to predestine you. I am going to choose you before you exist. I've seen you, I know you, and I've saved you. You will find me because I will draw you. And you will be saved. That's a pretty good deal for people who want nothing to do with him. Amen? And so, yeah, there's a gasp like that. And uh, he lets him off the hook simply because that's how he is. He's merciful. He's kind. And so off he goes, scot-free. No contracts, no stipulations, no conditions. Simply the the guy cries out. (laughs) He's moved. He says, you know what? I'm going to pardon you completely. Now, here's where things go south in a hurry, and we find out that he's not us. He's not, we're not him in the story because this isn't what we do. If you're born again and raised to new life and the Spirit of God is in your heart and you've been forgiven a lifetime of sins, this is not us. This is somebody who had some kind of transaction, but it never went deep. And so we're seeing the response of an unbeliever here. I want to talk about it because it's possible for a believer to do this kind of wretched behavior, but they certainly don't end up in hell if they're a true believer. And so now the debt-free servant, verse 28, goes back to his life and finds a fellow servant who serves alongside the same king, the same situation. Come on, have a heart. And he owes him a couple hundred bucks. Enraged, he puts him in a chokehold and begins to strangle the life out of him. Pay me what you owe me, you scoundrel. And, he, and, and the guy falls to his knees, probably because he needs oxygen. <laughs> and, and he begs him, be patient with me, man. I'll pay you back. Remember, that's what you told the king. When, oh, no, he doesn't say that. He was, he's not having it. Instead, he presses charger, charges and has him thrown into prison until he pays back every last shekel. Now, notice a few things here. First of all, fellow servant. You know, socially on the same level, there should be some camaraderie, some connection, some caring up for the guy. Uh, he must have known how the king would treat him because he was just in there for the same sort of thing. Uh, but his heart is dead. That's the problem. It's got a dead heart. And the comparison of the size of their debts, oh, the contrast is on purpose to emphasize the hideousness of what he's doing and the hideousness of somebody who could receive such a grand gesture of having your entire life of sins wiped out and then grabbing somebody and saying, how dare you talk to me like that? How dare you write that about me? Oh, it's so awful. Yeah. Okay, so the co-worker owes him 100 denarii. It's one silver coin, one day's pay. There were 6,000 denarii to one talent. He owes 10,000 talents. Whew. Right? But the guy who gets forgiven all of that is going to hold the guy's feet to the fire of the guy who just offended him in a comparatively speaking, and I want to say this, comparatively speaking, every single thing that's ever been done to you, 
comparatively speaking, to your entire life being erased of all responsibility for any wrongdoing at all, that you appear before God as pure as Christ Jesus, our Lord. Compared to that which you've received, anything anybody could ever do to you is small potatoes. Insignificant, a nothing burger. That would, sorry, I don't know. I like that. Nothing burger, you bite in and there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah, that would be sad. That's why I go to In-N-Out. Because that's the best burger. All right, okay, go moving on. I know that was so important for you to know. And look at this. Jesus makes sure because genius is, Jesus is genius. He's God. And so he, he puts the same words in the guy's mouth, in the other guy's mouth. Like, don't you have a conscience, man? Didn't the Holy Spirit speak to you? Uh, where have you heard this line before? Maybe you should rethink what you're doing, man. He was in the same boat, only you owed 500 million. And you're off scot-free. You're not going to give a guy a break? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with him is it was a transaction outwardly. It never changed his heart. He leaves the palace the same way he came in. Greedy, money-hungry, stingy, cold, self-centered. He just got lucky. And he left without the change. The change in the Greek, metanaeo, repentance, it means to turn, to do a U-turn. That didn't happen. So he came in one way, he went out the same, and that's the behavior you see there. I mean, uh, Jesus said, look, a lot of people say that they know me, but by their fruit, you will know them. In other words, when you see oranges on a tree, you can say, with some pretty good assurance, say, you know what, that's an orange tree. And you see apples growing on it, you can say with, with real confidence, that's an apple tree. But when you see a so-called Christian tree that the person is saying, I'm a Christian tree, you know, but you see rage and, and a desire to retaliate, and things that don't make sense to you, and the, the fruit is deadly and poisonous, that, ah, sorry, you can call the tree whatever you want, but we can call the tree by the fruit that's hanging on the branches. So if there's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control, well, we know what that tree is. When the tree is slapped, it doesn't slap back. The tree loves its enemies. And it has a small ego. It's quick to forgive because it's been forgiven. A lifetime of sins. That's a Christian tree. And so uh, let's finish up really quick here. So we move from the man has shown mercy to the man shows no mercy. And now he suffers the consequences. So uh, I'm paraphrasing along here. Yes, news travels fast. And the servants that saw this play out went and filled the king in. The master calls him back in and lets him have it. You no good rotten servant. I canceled that horrendous mount, $500 million, just because you begged me. Oh, please. And I, and I let you walk out of here a free man. Don't you think 
It stands to reason you should have shown your fellow servant the same mercy I showed you. Well, the master was very angry. I turned him over to endless misery till he paid back every last shekel. Like that's going to happen. And this is how God will deal with, the, with anyone who's unmerciful. You, you must forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. Okay, so yeah, in keeping with New Testament theology, first let's look at James chapter 2, verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Wow. <laughs> mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what he's looking for. Mercy. <laughs> if you want to receive mercy, Jesus says, then you better be dealing out some mercy. If you want to be forgiven, you need to be forgiving. That's how it works. Now, thank you. You can go back to the verses now. Now, I want you to know this. This is how you get saved. You get saved by not showing people mercy or being a good person or being kind or turning the other cheek. That doesn't save you, right? Those are evidences of your salvation. The only way you get saved is by trusting in Christ and just crying out, boom, done. You're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. It's a free gift, all right? You get that. So Jesus is not saying that unless you forgive, you're not going to heaven. That would be silly. It flies in the face of the gospel. Here's what he's saying. An unforgiving person evidences They've never experienced the saving grace. They wind up perishing not because they're, they don't forgive, but because they themselves have never experienced the forgiveness of Christ. And that's the reason they don't forgive. So it's really just a symptom when you don't forgive that you're not forgiven because if you were forgiven and you had all that love, and you knew the love of the Father and the mercy that God has shown you by wiping out your debt. And instead of going to hell, you're going to heaven to reign and rule with him and sit on a throne, he says. I'm going to share my throne with you. Nobody even knows what that means. We're judging angels and judging the world with him. And this is what he's saying that how could you experience all that knowing where you were headed, knowing how guilty you are, knowing what a sinner you are today with the Holy Spirit. When you want to do good, evil's right there with you. It's two steps forward, three steps back. Oh, wretched sinners that we all are. And yet he's lavished his love on us and he says, could you please not hold people's feet to the fire considering what I've done for you. And how did he do it? The king didn't just go, hey, you know you owe me 500 mil? Wink, wink. Let's pretend it didn't happen. Oh, no. Oh, no. The king is just. So the king says, you can go on your way. I'll figure out how to pay your 500 mil. Son, my eternal son, I want you to go down and I want you to pay us 500 million for him because we're just... No wink, wink. Oh, no, no. Every last one of those <laughs> shekels are going to be paid for by the Son of God. And, and here's a picture here. You know, If that's done by God in a body on my behalf, when I didn't deserve it, when we were in the crowd mocking, crucify him, I used to stop and talk to the street preachers because I was called. I didn't know it at the time. I'm 18, 19 years old. And I'd stop 
and mocked them. And I'd say, my friends are like, come on, let's go. And I'm like, no, no, are you kidding me? I want to talk to these Christians, you know? And I'd just, just blaspheme them. I wanted nothing to do with God at all. And he reached into a bar and saved me, grabbed me by the scruff of my neck, hauled me out of the bar, and I got saved on the sidewalk. Against my will. <laughs> and now I'm supposed to uh, hold a grudge against somebody who didn't invite me or looked at me funny or misstated something or there's been a misunderstanding and I'm like up in arms about it. Considering. So here's the key. In the moment. Remember. If you start your day on your knees with the book open, you'll be reminded. But when you don't start the day like that, you forget all that's been given you, so you go out and you grab them by the throat. Or you talk about people like that. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah, can you believe it? You know, listen, when I first read this, and I'm closing now, when I first read this as a young man in Bible college, and unless you do the same, your Heavenly Father's going to treat you this way, I went into my heart to that little prison where I've kept all the people I've written off, right? And I swung open the prison door, and I said, out, out, all of you, get out of here, get out, go, 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 I forgive you all, all, out. And off they went, right? And sometimes you have to pray through that and keep doing it, but you know, God will take care of all of those people and all of that, all of that behavior and all of that vengeance and all of that. He takes care of that. But, I mean, that's what you have to do. You go into your heart, and wherever, uh, where, where the label is, you're dead to me, right? Because of what you did, you open that up, and you let them go. Now, what if you're a believer, and you do these kinds of things, which they do. They don't forgive from the heart. Then, instead of seeing the prison as a hell, because you're not going to hell, you're going to another prison, the prison of resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. There's nothing more miserable than that. Nobody can thrive being angry. Nobody. And, it, and, and that bitter root springs up and just poisons everything. That's the prison for the believer who will not forgive from the heart. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great love. Thank you so much, Jesus, for the truth. Yeah, it's easy right now, God. We see it. It's right there. We're like, whoops, wow, this is important. <laughs> Help us to remember in the heat of the moment or when the dust settles, at least, God, to, sh to keep short accounts, just to remember the grace shown us and to extend the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.